Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Filled with topics and messages that you ask for. At Easter Sunday, we handed out these cards and said, what is it that you would like us to talk about? What are you curious about in the Bible? What do you want to know about? And so you filled these out, and the top six uh, most asked questions turned into this series. And so thanks for participating in that. Now, I've got to tell you, I love today's uh, topic because uh, it's not something that's for you. The, the rest of the topics have been about how do I do this, what it, how do I do this and, and grow in my parenting, how do I forgive, it's stuff that impacts you. But today, the question you ask is really to help you impact others. And that question is, how do I share my faith? And I love that you asked that. In fact, I, I knew that you would for two reasons. First is because there's this mandate for us to do that as believers. Jesus told us before he left, he said, hey, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. That good news is that, that Jesus came, he lived his life, he died for us and rose from the dead. He said, that's the gospel or the good news. He said, tell that to, to everyone as you have the opportunity. Go, go do it. And so as a church, a simple church, we, we live our lives on missions. We are not a church that believes we exist for church people. Sorry to tell you that. We're not, we don't exist for you church people. We're actually here for those that are lost. We're here to reach them because God is all about his lost kids. He, he is seeking for them at all time. In fact, our vision statement as a church, the reason we exist is to reach people far from God and teach them to follow Jesus step by step. So we're not a church for church people. In fact, there's two places you get to be in when you come to this church. One, you're here and you are finding God. So you're in the process of learning who he is and connecting relationally with him. And once you do that, you have that, that opportunity to, to join the team and help us find other people to do the same, right? So we love it. As a church, we're here to help you get connected with God. We want you to know him. We want you to find freedom from, from your past and find better ways to live your life as you follow Jesus, and we do that together. We want that for you. We want you to understand your purpose in this life so that you can make a difference in other people's lives. Like, we want you part of that, so as soon as you join the team and you get into relationship with Jesus, we want you to help us reach those other people, because God is constantly looking for those that are lost. In fact, I would say that, that the way he's described in the Bible is such that he, he, he's not so worried about those that are found. He's like, he loves that you're here on a Sunday morning. He loves his relationship with you and your worship and that you singing to him and praising him. He, he loves all that, but he's not enamored by it. In fact, his eyes are on the horizon looking for that which is lost. It's kind of like this. If you, you ever lost your wallet before? When you lose your wallet, you don't celebrate the fact that you still have your keys. Like, oh, well, I, I got my keys, you know. I guess I'm okay. Or if you've got three kids and you lose one, you don't celebrate, well, I still got two, so two out of three is not so bad, right? That's, uh, you, don't, you don't do that. You're actually distracted if you do that, see me afterwards. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but if you if you lose one of your kids, you're actually distracted by the fact that they're not there. You you're looking for your kids. You you forget everything else, and you'll you'll seek them. And that that is an accurate description of who God is. 
You know, in that, in that song, Reckless Love, it says he, he leaves the 99. There's a parable about 100 sheep, and when one gets lost, he leaves the 99 found to go seeking the one, and that's who God is. He is actively pursuing his lost kids, and, and so we need to be a church that loves what he loves, loves who he loves, and that's why, what, why as a church, we're doing what 2 Corinthians 5.20 says. We're Christ's ambassadors. We represent him. You know, you may be the only Jesus that people ever meet. That's the truth. You, people, they may never come to a church. They may never meet a pastor, but they're going to meet you, and you get to be the ambassador for Jesus. And the verse continues, says, God is making his appeal through us. He didn't say he's making his appeal through Pastor Aaron. He didn't say he's making his appeal through evangelists and mega preachers and those that are on TV. He didn't say that. He said he's making his appeal through us. That means you. You are God's plan to reach people. He put his love on display in Jesus, and Jesus reaches us, touches our hearts and lives, and so we are to reach others. That's just the way it goes. There's no plan B. God didn't say, hey, let's try this for a couple hundred years and see how it works out. You are his only plan to reach people. And that's why we need to be a church that loves what God loves. We need to reach those that are lost. And I realize that today in this day and age, that's not an easy thing to do. When you try to share your faith or invite people to church, there's resistance to that. People have presuppositions and ideas in their heads about what church is all about, what they're going to experience there, how they need to dress, who God is. And so they pump the brakes and they re resist a relationship with Jesus. But we still try and we still push. And I kind of take issue with a couple ways that churches nowadays are trying to reach those that are lost. One of the most toxic ways that, that we're doing it is we're taking God's word and we're changing it to fit the current culture and the lives of people to say, well, you know, God loves you, and he does. That's true. And he doesn't care how you live. That's not true. You can just be any way that you want to and that the Bible, well, it was written a long time ago. It wasn't written in our current culture, and so what it has to say is outdated. It's really just meant to be poetic and nice, make you feel good. And so pastors and churches are watering down God's truth so that you'll be comfortable coming there. And a lot of people are looking for pastors that will tell them whatever it is that they want to hear. They change God's word to conform to culture. I think that's dangerous. There's no reason for us to compromise the truth. There's no reason to do that. In fact, I think if you're going to make a difference in people's lives, that you need to be different. That's the way it works. And so I don't, I don't think we have to compromise God's truth. Jesus didn't do that. And then I think that that the other dangerous way of doing this is that some Christians, the way they go about sharing God's love or, or sharing their faith is they go around and they beat people over the head with it, with, with the Bible. They call them Bible thumpers, right? They stand on the street corners and call out, repent, you're going to hail. They spell it H-A-I-L, hail, going to hail. I spent the weekend in Kentucky. That's how they pronounce it down there. And we tell them, God hates this group of people. You're going to hell because you do that. And I don't think that's the, the healthiest way to go about it. I mean, there's some truth to what they're saying that, you know, hell is hot and heaven is real and both of them are eternal. I get that. But that's not the way to win people to Jesus. 
You don't beat them over the head and say, hey, here's a whole bunch of rules. You, you just don't do that. That's not effective. But many of us are just worrying about being efficient. You know, let's scare them. That'll do it. But I'm going to tell you, you don't want to be efficient. You want to be effective. And so I'm going to help you today to be effective. Because I think that we can stand for truth and still be, an, be attractive to people. I think we can uphold God's standards in our life and still have people desire to be a part of that. And so I want to help you to do that today. And I want you to look at what the Bible says in Colossians 4, verse 5 through 6. It says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Don't be foolish. Don't beat them over the head. Don't, don't compromise God's word for them. Instead, be wise. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. So there's some intentionality attached to that. Let your conversation be always full of grace. I like that. Season with salt. Make it taste good so that you may know how to answer everyone. What we want to do instead of changing God's word is give them truth and make it palatable in a way that, that they'll want it, that they'll want to be a part of it. Season it with salt so that it tastes good to them so they'll want to receive it. That's what we have to do. And today I want to help you with that. I want to help you figure out how to make your or to, to share your faith in a really, really simple way, because that's really who we are. We're simple church, right? We, we want to do things the simple way. And I think that it's simple to be wise and add salt to your life to make God attractive for other people. So 1 Peter 3.15, it says, always be prepared. And this, of course, is why you've asked this question, because you don't feel prepared. You don't know how to share your faith. You may know how to pray for somebody, but you're not really sure how to get them on the hook or lead them to Jesus, Right? So, so you need to be prepared, and that's what we're going to do today, to give an answer to everyone who asks you. Now, you need to understand it's written that way because it's kind of assumed that the way you live your life will look attractive to people so that they'll come to you and say, what is different about you? Tell me about the way that you're living your life. Because they're going to ask you about it to give the reason for the hope that you have. They're going to ask you, why do you go to church on Sunday mornings? Why do you serve one service and sit one service? Why do you pray? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you give? You need to be prepared and have an answer for them because when they look at your life and they see that it's different than theirs and they desire it, they'll ask. So you've got to answer. And so there's three things, three simple things you can do to, to answer them. And I'm going to give those to you. And then at the end of my message today, I'm going to, going to help you understand the biggest disconnect between today's culture and God and how to overcome that, all right? Because if we're going to care for people that Jesus cared about, I think we need to care for people the way that Jesus cared for them. And, and, and the way we do that, the first thing is that we need to connect with people. Jesus was, the genius of Jesus was that he did this. He connected with people before he was ever concerned with correcting them. In fact, I'll just say it, connect before you correct you don't need to worry about fixing people. You need to get into people's lives. You need to connect with them on a relational level. I think too oftentimes Christians want to hand out rules. Well, if you're going to be in a relationship with Jesus, you can't dress that way, and you can't talk that way, and you can't watch that show, and we want to hand out a bunch of rules to them before we've ever connected with them and know their story, know who they are, or anything about them. This is just the rules. And that's not what you want to do. 
I promise you what you want to do is connect. And Jesus never compromised the truth. He never told them the way that they were living was okay. In fact, he told them, hey, go, go leave your life of sin. But before he did that, he took time to connect with them. And sinners loved being around him. Not because he applauded them for their sin, not because he gave them permission for that, but because he just loved them right where they were. He connected first. See, so why is connecting important? Well, because people don't care what you know until they know how much you care. In fact, somebody should be writing that down. That was so good, I'm telling you. People don't care what you know. They won't care that you know Jesus. They won't care the difference that it's made in your life. They won't even care to know it. They don't care what you know until they know that you care. It should become a mantra for you so that you begin every relationship, not with rules, but with connection. Connect with people. Show them that you love them. I don't want to teach you how to argue, because if I teach you how to argue with somebody about whether God is real or not, you're going to have an argument with somebody, and everybody loses in an argument. Well, even if you win the argument, you still lose the relationship, and that's not the point. You don't want to be right. You want to be effective at reaching people. That is the goal. So the way we are effective is we connect first. That's why I think it's so important that you serve people. Serving people is a great opportunity. If they have a basic need in your life and you meet that need, it opens the door for connection. It opens the door for you to connect them with Jesus. See, you're not hearing me. See, there's, there's a story I forgot to tell first service, but she was here first service. Terry, Terry's here at our church. Do you know why Terry is here at our church and why God has completely turned her life around? Because Terry, who was in a recovery program here in Reynoldsburg, had a car issue. She wasn't even coming to our church, but she knew somebody who was. And that person reached out to us because they knew Sean. Sean likes to work on cars. It's like his thing. He likes to get dirty and go tweak on knobs and things inside cars. That's what he likes to do. That's not my thing. I don't like to get dirty. Hand sanitizer at all times, please. But they reached out to I <laughs> got an amen over here on that. That's awesome. But they reached out to Sean, who comes to our church, and Sean fixed her car for free. Didn't charge her a dime to do that. He met a very real need in her life, and Terry said, what is this all about? And Terry, who had spent year after year up and down in her sobriety, has not had a break in her sobriety since she met Jesus. She came to a place because, yeah, that's good, that's good. Listen, she came to a place because a practical need was met. Somebody served her. That's why we think it's so important to serve, not just here on Sunday mornings, but to serve our community. We partner with all kinds of organizations here in Reynoldsburg and then worldwide through missionaries who are serving people in real and practical ways. Things as basic as food and clothing, practical needs. Why? Because we want the opportunity to be able to connect with them and show them the love of Jesus. That, that's what we do. I'm telling you, people don't, as a church, people don't know what to do with us here in this community because we serve everywhere. We're, we're at every, almost every single event. There's a new one coming up here called National Night Out. They've done for a few years. They expect about 4,000 people to be there. And, uh, and the police department called me the other day and said, listen, we want you to bring your band. We heard them. They're awesome. And our band is awesome. They really are. They said, will you bring your band? I said, yeah. Can we do more? Well, sure. We could use some people to help serve at the event. Okay. Can we do more? Well, I mean, I guess we could have somebody flip the hamburgers. Can we do more? 
well, I mean, you know, can we buy the burgers? Yeah, sure, we'll let you buy the burgers. And so National Night Out is coming up August 7th. It's a big night. We're going to be able to love on over 4,000 people in one night, just share the love of Jesus and worship with them and, and give them an opportunity to connect. It's powerful what happens when you add value to people and when you serve them. It, it, it gives you that opportunity to connect with them. And get, it opens the door for them to know God. The reason we do all this is because Jesus defined his mission, his life's mission this way. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That's the only reason Jesus is here. He's here to seek and save that which is lost. And I want to have a church that looks like that, that does just what Jesus does. That the, everything that we do, the why behind it is that drive to reach people far from God. And that's who we are as a church. Now, if you're unfamiliar with where this verse came from, it comes from a story that, that demonstrates how you connect with people, and I just love it. It's a story of Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector. And let me just kind of give you a quick background. Zacchaeus was a Jewish man who was hired by the Roman Empire to collect taxes from the Jewish people. The Jewish people considered him a dog, a chief among sinners, greater or worse than rather, a sinner in their community because he was basically a traitor. On top of that, when he collected the taxes, he'd take more than was required and he'd pocket it. So it made him a thief on top of it all. So here's Zach. And it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, you sinner, you traitor, you thief, you need to give all that money back or you're going to hell. That's not what Jesus did. It's not what that verse says. He said, hey, Zach, come on down. I got to go to your house. Let's go have lunch. Let's go have a meal together. See, in that time to sit down with somebody was to accept them, not necessarily condone them, but was to affiliate yourself with them and accept them. And Jesus didn't make Zacchaeus repent. He said, I just want to have lunch. And so it says he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And you know, people would welcome you gladly if instead of trying to correct them, instead of trying to tell them how wrong they are, you just ask them to go to lunch. They'd, they'd receive your Jesus. And it says, all the people saw this and began to mutter. I like that word, mutter. It just means they're talking to themselves. He, well, he's going to be a gift of a thinner. Can you believe it with a thinner? <laughs> They criticized him for loving lost people. And man, I hope we have that reputation. That man, we get criticized for loving people that are lost and broken. The, those that no other church will have, we'll have them here. In fact, I know recently that we've, we were uh, criticized publicly online. We've received several reviews, and, uh, and I love them. This, this is some of the things they had to say. That riff raff, ragtag, tattooed up, coffee drinking, beard having imperfect people at this church. And I'm going to tell you, I am proud to be your pastor. I love that. And Jesus, I think Jesus would too. And here's what, what Zach's happened. They went to lunch and it says, Zach stood up and said to the Lord, look here. He, 
Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. What's happened here? There's been a transformation. There's been repentance. I don't know what was said at, at that lunch. Luke, the author of this book, didn't get invited. So we don't know what was said there. If it was the food that they were eating that caused such a change, you have to know that it was Chipotle. I'm not really sure, but I believe that in my heart. Something happened. And Jesus said to him, today salvation's come to this house. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I have no idea what happened during that lunch. I don't know what was said, but I know that it was intimate. I know that it was personal. I know that it was real and it was effective because Zach's life was changed forever as a result of that. And you know, you have the opportunity to change lives too. If you'll insist on connecting with people before you try to correct them, if you'll serve them, if you'll add value to them and love them at their point of need, it'll open the door for you to introduce them to Jesus. So that's the first thing you can do, connect with people. The second thing you can do is just share your story with people. That seems pretty easy to do. Listen, let me give you an evangelism tip, which evangelism, by the way, is a big Christian word that just means telling people about Jesus. You don't need to go around and tell people how they change. There's actually no verse in the Bible that tells you that's your job. That's not it. Don't go and get in a relationship with somebody and find out how they're broken and what they need to fix and then highlight that for them. That's, that's just, that's the worst thing you could possibly do. That, that's not your role. In fact, your role and what you should do is what Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. Are you noticing a trend here? Let your light shine, your good deeds, and glorify your Father in heaven. See, when your light shines bright through the good deeds that you do, they're going to see your life and they're going to be attracted to it. They're going to want what it is that you have. They're they're going to want it. They'll want in. They'll ask you questions. And we need to look for opportunities that when they want it, when they ask questions, to share the difference that Jesus has made. In other words, be a witness. Now, this whole being a witness thing has kind of gotten a bad rap. There's a verse in Acts 1. It says, you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. And see, I grew up in church, and when they talked about witnessing... They weren't talking about telling your story. It meant that you went out into the neighborhoods and you knocked on the doors and said, or interrupted people while they were eating in the cafe or sipping their latte and said, excuse me, sir, do you have a moment to talk to us about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? It's totally intrusive, totally interruptive. And and that's great if that's effective, then go for that. But that's not what this verse means. It says that you will be a witness a witness means that you just tell your side of the story. Hey, this is, this is what I've seen. This is what I know. You know, in a courtroom, there's several roles. There's the judge, there's the prosecutor, the defender, and the witness. Well, you're not supposed to be the judge. So if you're walking around judging people, just stop that right now. It's not your job. You're also not the prosecutor. You're not the one that's supposed to point out people's errors and condemn them to hell. That, that's not your job. You're also not a defender. Your job is simply to be a witness. That's to tell your side of the story. This is what has happened to me. That's it. That's it. Be prepared to give an answer for what's gone on in your life. And let me help you. Just just make it as simple as like a two-minute thing. If you need to rehearse this and maybe even write it out, I would recommend you to do that. That's, That's what being prepared looks like. 
Be prepared to give a two-minute story. I'll give you mine just to kind of help you understand. I grew up in church. I grew up loving Jesus. Somewhere around my 20s, I was offended by something a church leader did. It hurt my heart, and I said, God, I don't want anything to do with your people, and that means I don't want anything to do with you. And so I turned my back on everything I, I was taught growing up. As a result, years later, I was married, divorced, two kids in the process, remarried again. My marriage was in turmoil. I'd also gone through bankruptcy at this point and picked up a heavy porn addiction along the way. My life was in shambles. And to, to boot, I was still angry and bitter about what had happened years before. 2010, I was invited by a friend that I loved and trusted to a church. And I went that day, and the pastor was funny. And so we came back. And he kept on being funny, so we kept on coming back. Had coffee with him, and I said, you know, I'm not going to serve, and I'm not going to give. And the only reason I'm here is because you're funny. Is it okay if I keep on coming? And he said, yep, we'll have you. And I experienced God's love and his grace and his acceptance through a person. I experienced Jesus. And that church loved me to a place of health. My marriage got restored. God broke me free of a pornography addiction. He healed my heart from the bitterness and the anger and the unforgiveness that had dwelled there. And now God's restored me and put me back on a path where I'm blessed. Jesus has made all the difference. I met him in a church of people just like you who love Jesus and were willing to share him. That's my story. God's totally and completely transformed my heart and my life. And I just share it. And you can share that story too. What did your life look like before Jesus? What happened when you met him? How'd you meet him? And what does your life look like now? Two minutes, you can do it. Practice it, write it out. Be ready and be prepared to give an answer at any time. You don't have to be in their face. You don't have to tell them they're going to hail. Just share what Jesus has done for you and the difference that it's made. Third thing you can do is invite them to a place where they can experience God. This, this is a big part of it. Because even if you love them and connect with them and you share your story, a lot of people are worried about having all the answers about being able to pray the prayer and about being able to tell them everything about the Bible. And, and you know, you really don't need to know all that kind of stuff. You just need to get them to a place where they can experience God because that's what makes the difference in their life. It's God's spirit. It's not you that makes the difference. In fact, we don't call our services services here. We call them experiences because God is not something to be watched. He's someone to be encountered. Jesus is not a religion. He's a person. We want you to know him because we know that if you encounter God, it'll change your life. We want you to meet him. Even if the, the biggest skeptic that is in this room cannot deny the power and the presence of God in a moment that they'll experience. We want people to experience the person and not the institution of the church. That's what happened with the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament. He actually had an encounter and experience. This guy was killing Christians. He was throwing them in jail. And on his way to go do more, on the road to Damascus, he encountered Jesus. And he was, his life was transformed as a result. And so Paul took that story. He took that opportunity. And he went and shared with people. But he realized it was not his encounter or his story that made a difference. He even said in, in 1 Corinthians 2, he said, You'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you to let you in on God's master's stroke... I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy because he knew that wouldn't help. So you don't need to worry about that kind of stuff. 
He said, I deliberately kept it plain and simple. I like that word. We should name a church after it. First, Jesus and who he is, then Jesus and what he did, Jesus crucified. He said, I was unsure of how to go about this, just like many of you. He said, and felt totally inadequate. I was scared to death if you want the truth of it. And so nothing I said could have impressed you or anyone else. But the message came through anyway. God's spirit and God's power did it. See, that's the difference. You can connect with people all day long. You can share your story all day long. But unless they encounter the power and presence and peace of God, their lives will remain unchanged. And so you need to invite them to a place. Invite them to a place where they can experience. Paul continues on and says, it's the God's spirit and God's power that did it, which made it clear that your life of faith is a response to God's power not to some fancy mental or emotional footwork by me or anyone else. In other words, it had nothing to do with what he said. It had nothing to do with his story. It had everything to do with God's spirit. So you don't need to worry about having all the answers or having prepared speeches. You just need to invite them to a place where they can experience and encounter God. People need to understand his peace and experience it and that power and that presence. And I think once they do, their lives will change. So let's do this. Let's serve people. Let's add value to them and focus on connecting with them before we try to correct them. Let's make sure we share our stories regularly. And when people see our light, when they see the light of our good deeds, when they see our lives and they desire it, and it makes sense, invite them to a place where they can experience God's power. That's what we need to do. Now, as I wrap up today's message, you need to understand that a lot of people come to a relationship with God with presuppositions or ideas about who God is. They come to the table trying, through, through, looking at God through life experiences, through stories that they've heard, through culture and myths and tradition. And they have these wrong pictures of God. And because of the wrong pictures that they have of God, they react to him and respond to him differently. They'll pump the brakes and build up walls because of the pictures they have in their brain. It's kind of like saying, well, the kid who's going, no, I don't want to play basketball. I don't want to get tackled, and, and I don't want to have to wear a helmet. Well, that, that's not basketball. That's football. So, oh, well, all right, well, I, I guess I can, I'll play basketball. Well, it's like my kids. We went on vacation. I said to my boys, hey, I want to take you guys, and my daughter, I said, I want to take you guys parasailing. And one of my boys said, no, I don't want to do that. I said, it'll be all right, I got the 500-foot cord. And he said, no, uh-uh. When I got back and we showed him pictures of how high we were, he's like, well, oh. He said, well, that wasn't too high. I said, yeah, I told you I got a 500-foot cord. We weren't going 500 feet in the air. It was 500 feet out from the boat. Oh, well, I would have done that. He had a wrong picture. And many people are like that. When you invite them to church or into a relationship with God, well, no, that means that I'll have to do this and I got to stop doing that and I got to, they, uh, they just have, have wrong images of who God is. And as a re result, they say no. But if you, if you tell them, well, that, that's not what the Bible says and that's not who God is. If you take time to connect and to listen, you, you'll, you'll discover the pictures that they have of God and an opportunity to correct them. And I think it's sad. Jesus even struggled with this with his disciples. Mark 8, 27. They said, who do people say that I am? He's like, what's the, what's the pictures that people have of me in their brains? Who, who do they see me as? And one of them said, well, 
you're John, some of them think you're John the Baptist, which is super creepy because John was alive at the same time as Jesus, even baptized Jesus, uh, and he was beheaded in prison. And so Jesus being John is kind of like this weird situation and would have even been like this creepy reincarnation kind of thing. So anyway, some of them thought he was John. Others said he was Elijah, who was a prophet of the Old Testament, thousands, a, a thousand years before Jesus was here. And he was taken off in a chariot to heaven. He never died, but the Bible says that it's appointed to man wants to die. And so they just kind of assumed that Jesus was Elijah. He said, well, others think that you're, you're a prophet, like you're, you're a good teacher, but you're not God. And Jesus said, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ. That word Christ means anointed one. There's something different about you. You've got a power and an appointment to do something specific. See, it's important that you understand that the pictures that people have in their brains affect the way that they behave. Sadly, I think some people see God as a locked gate. They look at God through the fence and they're like, I see God. I see the impact he has in other people's lives. I see other people enjoy him, but I can't get to him because he's on the other side of that gate. I don't have the key to get through and God doesn't want to be with me. God wants to keep this distance between us. I can't get in. And people feel this way. Even people that have grown up in church would identify this as their situation. They say, well, I feel far from God. Like, I grew up around here, but I never connected with him. You feel this gap. And the myth here is that God can't be reached. But that's not true. God isn't a locked gate. God is accessible. In fact, we have free access to him through Jesus. We get that. In fact, Acts 17 says, he doesn't play hide and seek with us. That's God. He doesn't do that. He's not remote. He's near. God's not a locked gate. He's not off in some far distant land that you can't get to. He's near. He's close by. In fact, I can introduce him to you right now, and I'll give you that opportunity here in just a moment. Other people see God through the lens of a pile of luggage. This idea is that, that you have so much baggage in your life that God couldn't possibly love you. That because of where you grew up, because of the lifestyle you've lived or the choices that you've made, that God doesn't love you, that he can't love you, that you're not worthy of love because of it. And as a result, you feel like you need to clean up yourself or get rid of some of that baggage in order to come to God. But that's simply not the case. The myth here is, of course, that God doesn't want me. And that's not the case. God wants you. The truth is, the way God expresses himself is that he cares the most for those that, are, that need him the most. He really does love you. He really does care about you. And he loves you irrationally. He loves you illogically. Like you're not gonna understand God's love. You can understand that he loves you and that's all you need to know. And you need to know that he loves you unconditionally. Which by the way, let me help you with this theologically. It's gonna get a little deep. Unconditionally means without condition. There's no condition. There's nothing you can do like the Apostle Paul said, there's nothing you can do to separate yourself from the love of God. It's unconditional. And his love is like the song we sang, reckless. He pursues you with all that he is, despite the fact that you'll spit in his face and you'll sin and you'll walk away from him in your attitude and your actions. He loves us that much. In fact, the greatest demonstration of this is found in Romans 5.8. It says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. 
In other words, while you and I were still walking away from God, while we were still living contrary to his best for our lives as sinners, Jesus died for us. Even when he was hanging on the cross, he said, God, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. But before he took the spikes in his hands, Jesus didn't say, wait, 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 wait. Is anybody out there going to get saved if I do this? Is anybody going to put their faith in me and trust me? Before they, before they pound this stuff in my hands and I hang here and I'm tortured and tormented for hours and die, is anybody going to accept this? No. He loved you enough that while we were still sinning, he died for us. That's beautiful. Jesus paid for it all. Another way we see God is that we see God through this, the lens of like an endless ladder. We think there's a whole bunch of stuff that we have to do in order to get to him. That he's not going to love us or accept us unless we do A, B, and C, and then the list just continues on and on and on. That we have to go to church, we have to give, we have to serve, we have to on and on, the good list goes. That we have to pray, and that if we don't do these things, that we're not accepted, that we're not loved. That we have to do all this stuff, and the myth is, is that God requires a lot from you. That's simply not true. In fact, Jesus clarified this in John 6, 28, when he said, when people ask you, hey, what do we have to do? What are the works that God requires of us? Jesus said, here's the work of God is this, is to believe in the one that sent him. That's it. He said, just believe. That's all you have to do. In fact, regarding the work that is necessary for you to have a relationship with God, Jesus hung on the cross and called out, it's finished. Woo! The whistle blew. Work's over. It's done. It's done. There's no work left to do. The only work is to place your faith in him, to trust him with your life and invite him to be Lord of your life. That's it. You say, well, Pastor Aaron, I know there's a verse in the Bible that says faith without works is dead. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. All right? I know that verse, and it's in James, and it's written to believers, not to those that are lost. It's written to those that would call themselves Christ followers, that if you claim faith in Christ that there is work for you to do. You don't need to do that work in order to be accepted. You don't need to do that work in order to go to heaven, to be forgiven. No, no. It's that there is work to do, that there are people to be reached, and God wants you to be part of that. He's wired you and gifted you specifically so that you can make a difference and do that in people's lives. That's the work that is to be done. And he wants us to do those things to reach others with his love. You know, at home, I don't do the laundry to get my wife to love me. She already does. I do it because it needs to be done. And today, we don't reach people because that's what God tells us to do so we can be accepted. No, we do it. We reach people because there's a need to be met. People need to know Jesus, man. And we're going to do anything short of sin to reach them, to love them, to serve them, to add value to their lives because there's a need, because there's a real picture of God. The true picture of God is simply this that what he has to give you is a free gift. It's a free gift. God wants you to have something that you couldn't earn, you don't deserve. It's because of his grace and his mercy and his great love for us that he gives it to us. You ever gotten a present that wasn't like on your birthday or at Christmas time? That's like the greatest gift. Somebody's just thinking about you and they just want to love you and they just want to bless you. That's an awesome gift to receive. Well, that's what this gift is. It's a free gift for you. It's not your birthday and it's not Christmas. Although the gift started at Christmas time, I think. 
God wants you to have this. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this isn't from yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works. So that nobody gets to boast about it. Nobody gets to say, I did this. No, Jesus did this. You say, well, what's free? Salvation. Eternity in heaven. Forgiveness. In fact, Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. In other words, all that we earn because of our selfishness, because of our sinfulness, the payment for all that lifestyle is death. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the true picture of God. That is a free gift. You don't get to earn it. You couldn't buy it. You're not worthy of it. God just says, here it is. It's for you. As I finish today, I want to just share with you a story of a guy's name is Ben. And Ben's been coming to our church for almost two years now. And, and he and his wife came. And I remember they used to sit on the front row over here every Sunday. And uh, Ben, I talked to him after every Sunday morning service. His wife, Tina, was a believer and still is. And she was basically dragging him to church on Sundays, and he was going. And Ben, being the good husband, would sit here faithfully, and I would talk to Ben after service. And he said, you know, I'd like to get coffee with you sometime. I said, let's do it, bud. So he and I went and got coffee, and he sat me down. And he said, you know, he said, I don't believe like you do. He said, I, I mean, I like what you say on Sundays. I always feel good when I leave Sunday morning service. He said, and the things you make it really practical for me to understand how to live my life, and I take some of those things and I live them out. It makes my marriage better. It makes me a better employee. I, I like my life better when I do the things that you're talking about. He said, but I don't, I don't think Jesus was the son of God. I don't, I don't think that. I don't believe what you do. And he was concerned, would, would I still be okay if he came to my church? And I said, well, Ben, we're glad to have you, man. You just keep on coming, brother. See, I believe that you can belong before you believe. You can belong here before you believe what I believe about Jesus. Because I know that if you keep coming, you're going to encounter God. You're going to encounter his spirit, that undeniable presence and peace and power. So Ben kept coming to church, and I remember one Sunday I was given an invitation, like I'm getting ready to give. And I said, is anybody ready to say yes to Jesus, to, to ask him into their lives? And I remember the day so, so clearly. I was standing over here, and I said, is there anybody? And Ben shot up his hand way high. I almost couldn't finish the service. I was in tears because Ben had encountered Jesus. He knew that there was something that he needed in his life, and he had placed his faith in Jesus as Lord. So we prayed the prayer that day. A few weeks later, I baptized him, and now Ben serves in our parking lot. He's one of the guys that flags you in, and, and he's even the guy, he's probably embarrassed that I tell you this, but the water we're giving out on the 4th of July and the water that steadily is here, the bottles of water that we have, he's gotten his boss to donate all of it for us, all of it, so that we can be a blessing. We're talking about a life transformed here because he encountered the person in the presence of Jesus. So what about you? Are you ready to encounter God? Are you feeling his undeniable presence today? If so, we're gonna pray. Come on, guys. Lord, I just thank you so much for this opportunity. I thank you for your word, your presence and power that transform us, the touch of our hearts and lives. God, I, I know that your word tells us to 
share our faith with others. And so, Lord, I thank you that it is simple. Lord, that we can connect with people. Have lunch with them. Have coffee with them. Just get to know their story. I pray that you would help us to connect with others, Lord. Our world is structured and we have fences around our houses. We have walls to keep us inside our homes and people out. And now we've got smartphones in our pockets that we stare at all day long instead of looking at the world around us. Lord, I pray that you would just give us an awareness of our opportunities to connect with others. And then, Lord, as we do, I I pray that you would give us the words to share our faith, to share the difference that you've made in our lives. And then, God, the boldness to invite people to church. Lord, if there's resistance to any of that, help us to, to be patient as we listen for the improper pictures people have in their minds of who you are, that we can patiently and lovingly correct those and continue to invite them to a place where they can meet you. God, I pray that as they come, we've all got somebody in our hearts and our minds right now that we're praying for. I pray that as they come, their lives will be transformed when they meet you. Lord, there's people here right now that are ready to meet you. And so I say to those of you that are in this room right now, we're going to continue to pray. You can keep your head bound and your eyes closed. But this could be your moment where you meet God. Are you feeling his presence? Are you feeling his spirit tug at your heart right now? Maybe you're, you're... pulse is quickened and your hands are sweaty. I'm not sure what you're feeling right now, but I just know that Jesus is here and he's ready to meet you. And if that's the case, if you're ready to place your faith in him, then I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment. I'll give you the words and you can join me on that. But just so that I know you're here, would you just identify and say, Aaron, I'm going to pray that prayer today. That's me. Would you just slip your hand up right now and say, that's me. I'm going to pray that prayer. Come on, you can do it. Be bold. Don't worry about anybody sitting next to you. Okay. Thank you. Church, let's pray together. Everybody pray these words out loud. Nobody needs to pray alone. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. Today I give you my life. Forgive me of my sins. And make me brand new. And show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.